When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't these all these? Oh, so sorry. Um, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in native language? Parthians, Medes, is that say Medes? Medes." Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they must have had too much wine. We're in a global lectin shortage or something. All right, well, I'm going to let you in on a bit of a... Si- oh, I don't know what's going on here. I'm, gonna s- I'm short. I'm not that short. Come on. Well, while I fix this, uh, I'm going to let you in on a bit of a secret about me. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I used to be a bit of a punk, all right? Uh, I wasn't the best kid. Uh, I got in trouble a lot at school and at youth. You can ask Jono about that. Uh, I got suspended a lot at school. I just cut myself on this thing. I'm bleeding. (laughs) I'm all goodness, Jazz, thanks. Ah, all for nothing. (laughs) Thanks, Mitch. It'll be fixed in the new creation. It'll be all right. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, like I was saying, I used to be a bit of a punk, right? I got suspended a bunch at school, and they were usually not for, like, heaps bad things, just for kind of being annoying, I guess. Uh, and so one time, I got suspended for making dolphin noises. <laughs> I just did it all the time. And I did it in times when I shouldn't. And exactly when the teacher was like, whenever I got the vibe that the teacher was like, I really don't want someone to make a dolphin noise right here, I could feel it. It was in my bones. And I'd do it. I don't have much of a voice. I'll try. It was like a... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much, right? And that's what I'd do. And I'd do it at inappropriate times. And so it'd be like assembly. And he'd be like, all right, everybody, silence. Ah! Like, it was only ever at times that were not appropriate. And so I got suspended. Don't do that at school. Don't be that kid. Be cooler. Be cooler than me. But there there probably were times, right, when it would be appropriate to make dolphin noises. Like, here's a time when it would have been appropriate for me to make a dolphin noise. That was me in the fringe years. That's a lot of hair. That's a lot of hair. And now if I made a dolphin noise there, that's fine. It's kind of normal. There's a dolphin. I'd do it back. We'd have a chat. It'd be a good old time. But the middle of assembly, different time, totally inappropriate. Am I right? Exactly. Because different times call for different actions. You can go back to the first slide, I reckon. 
Get rid of my ugly mug off that one. Different times call for different actions. Check out, this is a picture of the RMS Queen Mary. This was like a a luxurious cruise ship back in the day. And back when they made this, back in the 30s, this was the big deal. This was the best thing going around, right? It had multiple dining areas. It had cocktail bars. It had swimming pools, ballrooms, squash courts. This place in its day was hectic. It was the best. In today's cash, it would have been like 10 grand a ticket. It was like, it was super luxurious. It had the best of the best. But towards the end of the 30s, World War II happened. The times changed. And it was no longer appropriate for it to be this luxurious cruise ship. And so they converted it into a transport ship for people in the war. And so they just got rid of all the nice stuff. All the expensive stuff they took out. There was like 10 kilometres of this fancy carpet. They rolled it up. They got rid of it. There was crystal. There was silver. There were like china plates that you see in your grandma's cupboard, right? There was all of this really expensive stuff and they chucked it. It's gone turned into a transport ship for the war. It's heaps nice paint on the outside, turned into like this grey camouflage so they could get people in and out nice and quick. Because of the time that they were in, they radically changed what the ship was. And guys, we are in a crazy time in the history of the world. The time that we are currently in, in this small window, is a crazy time and it should change everything absolutely everything. The time that we're in should change everything about us. And if we don't live in light of the time we're in, we're living totally inappropriate. And so as we go through tonight, I want you to be ready now to change your whole plans for your life. Be ready tonight to change the plans for your whole life because of the time that we're in. And so the question that comes to mind is, what's the time we're in? Here's the first big thing we're going to see tonight. We're living in the last days. In chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus promised that he's going to send the Holy Spirit when he goes, right? And so he he does that. We were looking at that yesterday. Jesus goes up to heaven. He does just that. Check out chapter 2, verse 4 that was just read for us. Try not to bleed too much on my Bible. So he promises, and then this is what happens. 2 verse 4, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so Jesus promises they're going to get the Spirit, then they get the Spirit, and they start declaring the gospel in languages that everyone around them can hear and understand. People from all over the shop, all those funky names that we heard of before, right? And you see that from verse 5 onwards, what the result of getting the Spirit is. And some people hear these people doing these things and they're like, man, that's amazing. This is incredible. This is crazy. How are they doing those things? It's wild. But other people there thought they were just nuts or they were drunk or something. But check out what Peter responds to them in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, the other guys with him, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, and I love his reason here, it's only nine in the morning. Come on, guys, not yet, right? Instead, he tells them what's going on. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And what Peter goes on to talk about here is from Joel all the way back in the Old Testament. You can read it yourself. And it's a prophecy written hundreds of years before about the moment that will mark the last days. What's going to start the last days? Verse 17, quoting Joel, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And there's a bunch of other stuff in there, right? But the big thing to note is the pouring out of the Spirit here in Acts shows that we are in the last days. That's the time that we're in. It's the time right before the end. The end of what, you might ask? What's in verse 20? And we looked at it. I missed it. There we go. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. It's the event we looked at last night, isn't it? the day that Jesus returns. And so these days that we're in are the days right before the end. If history, if the history of time was a movie, this is the bit you don't leave in. Even if you got to pee. Even if you got to do the little leg cross thing, you put the drink down, even if a little bit of wee comes out, that's all right. This is the important time. It's right before the end. Right before. Has anyone played rugby union? Nice. It's kind of like rugby league, but you've got to have a little bit of skill. Um, and, and this is how... I'm <laughs> kidding, right? And this is how a game of union ends. 80 minutes is up, game's over, big siren goes. But the game doesn't stop. There's like this bonus time at the end, and it goes until the ball goes out. It's finished, but there's this bonus part at the end. It's not over yet. And people in that time play harder than ever before because they know that the time's marked, there's a tiny bit left, let's go hard. And guys, the siren for our time has gone. At the cross, Jesus has died, defeated sin and death and brought us back with his grace. The siren has gone and we're living in extra time. After the siren, the last days, it's a special time. It's an unexpected time almost. It's right before the end. We're going to see why this matters in a second, but one reason you can already see is that this world actually does matter. I reckon it's really easier after the past couple of talks that we've gone through to think that, oh, who cares about this world? Look at what's coming. But there's this special time that God's given us here. We're in the last days. Some people have thought that this world doesn't matter so much that they just bail out into caves, bail out into the desert. That's not us. The last days are an important time. There's a special purpose. We're going to see what it is. But we've got to live appropriately in the last days. And here's the things, we've got to get some things right. And the first things that we've got to get right is we've got to have right expectations about the last days. And here's the expectation about the last days that really matters. The last days are now and not yet. That's what, that's what it's full of. Let me ask you a question, right? We've been learning a bunch about the kingdom of God in the past little while. Has the, has the kingdom of God come or is it still to come in the future? Think about the answer in your head. The answer that the Bible gives is yes. Yes, right? It sounds like a bit of a weird one. It's kind of like buying stuff online, right? You buy it, you've paid for it, it's yours. Now. It is yours now. But there's a waiting, right? It's a now. It's, it's a not yet. 
And so what's up, what's going on with the kingdom there? Well, Luke 17, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees there, and he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus brought the kingdom. Jesus brought it. But then in Acts 1, people are asking him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the time or the dates. They're asking about it. Jesus brought it, but they're still waiting. Now, not yet. The kingdom is now and not yet. Check out this timeline, right? This is a nice timeline. I made it. I'm pretty happy with it, right? You've got the kingdom of darkness. It's this, this age, this life here on earth, the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of light is the kingdom that Jesus has brought in. The new creation will be the kingdom of light. But there's an overlap. You can't see it here because if this was the total history of everything, we wouldn't be able to see it. That's how tiny this time is. Let's zoom in on that little overlap. This is the last days, the overlap of the ages. The cross starts it. Jesus defeats the kingdom of darkness at the cross. He beats Satan, he beats death, he beats sin, and he brings in the kingdom of light. But we know we wait for the new creation, don't we? We wait. And so this life is full of this now and not yet. And here's why getting that trippy thought in your head is really important. It gives us right expectations about the time we live in. We've got to have right expectations. There are so many blessings that we get as people of God, aren't there? We looked at a bunch of them this morning, the perks of being Christians. That's because now we really do experience the kingdom of light. We really do get some, but we do wait for all of its fullness. Here's a couple of examples, right? Now we really do have a relationship with God. We really have it. It's a real thing, but we wait for the day when we'll dwell with God as His people like we looked at in the first night. We've been made holy, Hebrews 10, but we've still got these commands to be holy. It's now and not yet. Now, we have been resurrected from death to life. You see that in Ephesians 2. But we wait for our resurrection of our bodies, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, sin and Satan is beat. They've been destroyed at the cross, Colossians 2. But Satan is prowling around now, tempting us, 1 Peter 5. Now, Jesus rules as the king of everything. We saw that yesterday, Ephesians 2, but we wait for the day when he rules everything unopposed, fully. Now, not yet. It's kind of like um, being deserted on, a, on an island, right? Something like this guy, Wilson, all that stuff. I would hate being deserted on that, it would be a bit crazy, but one day you've been there for years, been there for years, and it sucks but you see this light in the distance that's coming closer and closer and closer, and it's a boat. Someone's found you. You've been rescued. And so you get in the boat, and they start giving you epic stuff. You get in this blanket. They're giving you food. They're giving you water. They're giving you a little bit of a cuddle. You're feeling great, right? You are rescued. You are rescued from the island. Epic. But you're not fully rescued, are you? Like, there's still... You still got to wait to get to the mainland. It's a now, and there's this sense of not yet. 
And the right expectations for us is as we go through this life in the overlap, we know we're going to experience some of that stuff from the kingdom of darkness. Like the guy who's been rescued from the island, he's still going to feel the waves on his face. He's still going to feel the cold, the waves crashing around him. We know we've been rescued now, and yet we wait. There's a long way for us to go. You're getting the picture of the now, not yet? Hard to wrap your head around. But that means we can be blessed with everything that God has given us in this life. He's been so good to us, and yet we'll still suffer. It's so important that we get that this time is now and not yet, because we're not yet in the perfected kingdom of light, unopposed. And so we'll suffer here in the last days, because they're now, not yet. Here's some quotes from a book that you'd find in most Christian bookshops. Start calling yourself healed, happy, whole, blessed and prosperous. Stop talking about, to God about how big your mountains are and start talking to your mountains about how big your God is. God wants you to live in abundance. You were born to be a champion. If you build for yourself an image of success, wealth, abundance, joy, peace, happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold these things from you. Go you. Before you were formed, he prepared us to live abundant lives, to be healthy, happy, and whole. Is that right? No. They've gotten their expectations of this life totally wrong. They've looked too far at the not yet. But we're in the now, not yet. It's a prosperity theology. The idea that God is going to prosper you here and now in these days. If you're a Christian, God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, successful. Things are going to go well with you. They'll say things like, Jesus came to defeat sickness, and so you should expect to be healed of everything now. Now, half of that's right. Jesus came to beat sickness and death and sin. But we're not experiencing all of that now. It's a not yet. So don't expect those things. You don't have right expectations there are people who have gotten this so wrong that they've left following Jesus because they thought they'd signed up for all the not yet now. They expected to come to Jesus and be healed, come to Jesus and be wealthy. That life, They'd come to Jesus and, and they'd get mates and life would go really, really well for them. They've had wrong expectations. They get annoyed at God for not meeting what they thought his end of the bargain was. Don't let that be you. Rescued from the island, but you're still going to feel the waves and the spray. You're still going to wait. And so when you feel like the Christian life isn't all that you might have thought it would have been, when stuff still gets hard, when you suffer, you're in the last days. Have right expectations. Here's the second thing we've got to get right. We have to, we've got to have right priorities. Right expectations right priorities. Living appropriately in the last days means you've got to have your priorities straight. You need to make sure that the things that you see as important are actually the things that are important. That the things that you're doing and that you're on about are the things that we should be doing and that we should be on about. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at some parts of this on, on Tuesday night. 
I think some of this is in the post-fat daily reading notes as well, so make sure you get on those. In here, Paul has spent just ages rattling on about the resurrection of Jesus, how it changes everything, defeats sin, defeats death. Look at verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. What should we do? Knowing the resurrection in mind, now we're in the last days, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. If there's such a thing as a priority, it's that, isn't it? Always fully. And so what's the work of the Lord? If that's the thing I've got to be giving myself to always fully, what is it? Now, some people have thought it's just anything, any type of work, anything you do, that's for God. If you're doing it for God, work of the Lord, keep going at it. And that's kind of nice because it's quite easy, right? I can just think that this is for God and it's the work of the Lord. But I don't think that's what's in mind here in 1 Corinthians 15. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I think it's a really narrow and a really specific work. Something really specific that we should be always doing fully. It's the work of spreading the gospel amongst unbelievers and seeing the gospel established in believers. It's serving and it's spreading. That's what the work of the Lord is. And that work, says Paul, is something that all Christians should be on about. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Two parts, spreading the gospel and serving your fam. And we're going to look at both of those things now and how we can live lives that are doing those things. And as we do it, I want to think kind of close to home. I want us to think when we get back, what are we going to do immediately that's doing the work of the Lord? All right? And then we're going to look a little bit further ahead and go, actually, how can I plan my future in this life, in the last days, to make sure that I've got that as my priority? That, I, that my priority is spreading the gospel and serving my family, all right? They're the two things we're going to be going through because this is how we live appropriately in the last days. So let's look at the first one together. Spread the gospel. First part of the work of the Lord. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why does, why does that age that we look at even exist at all? That's a a good question to ask. We know that God wants to bring in His new creation, that He can't wait to wipe every tear from our eye. We know that He can't wait to bring justice, righteous justice. We know that He has set a day when King Jesus will return and wrap up that time. That's what we've looked at. But why has it taken so long? What's going on? Why hasn't Jesus come back? Well, come with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter chapter 3, it's towards the back. Could be one Peter after the other day, couldn't it? Hopefully we'll find it. Two Peter 3 verse 3. It's kind of giving him a warning here and he says, 
Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, that's kind of, that's what scoffers do, I guess, and following their evil desires, they will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Do you get what they're saying? There's Peter's saying that these people are going to come around in the last days, and they're going to say, where's this return of Jesus you're talking about? When's that happening? Sounds like a bunch of rubbish. We've, we've waited. It's not here. It's not here. And you might have heard stuff like that as well. Because we're much further down the line, aren't we? Why hasn't Jesus returned? Is it happening? Come down to verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Did you catch the answer to our question there? Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Why hasn't God sent him back and ushered in that day of the Lord? He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. He, he wants people to be saved. That's why this time exists, because God is saving people. Why didn't Jesus return a year after being in heaven? Because God was on about saving people. Why didn't Jesus return 200 years after being in heaven? Because God was on about saving people. Why hasn't Jesus returned 2,000 years after going to heaven? God is on about saving people. There are still people that God wants to save. That is why the last days exist at all. That's the priority of the God of the universe. Seeing people saved. More people in the kingdom of light. He has paused the returning of his son for that sake. The priority of God. And so what does it look like for us as his followers to live appropriately in this age? It's to be on about what he's on about. It's to have right priorities. At the end of Matthew, what's the command that Jesus gives? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's given us his task. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Today is the day of salvation. That's what the last days are. They're the days of salvation. It's not the days of getting stuff. It's not the days of becoming popular. It's the days of salvation. Do you see what our priority should be in these last days? Spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. Now, I wonder what's something we could do to kickstart remembering that. <laughs> Sometimes we wake up and we just think it's any normal day, it's a bit of a boring day. But guys, any day that you wake up, when you open your eyes on that day, you can say today exists because God is saving people. We made it today four of fat because on the past days God's been saving people. That's why the days exist. Today doesn't exist so that I can go and have fun, although it's a good thing to do, go do it. It's not why it exists. Today doesn't exist so that I'll go and get really well educated, although it's a good thing to do. Today exists for God to save. Today is the day of salvation. The 26th of April, 2019, today, 
It only exists because God is saving people. That's the reason we're here. And so whatever situation you're in, spread the gospel. That's what God's doing. And let me let you in on a bit of the best kept secret in the world, right? High school is one of the best places ever that you could spread the gospel. You've got it so good. It is one of the best places. You get to hang out with largely the same group of people for years, building relationships with them and given the chance to spread the gospel with them. And it's not only one of the best, it's one of the most important. About 85% of Christians made their decision to follow Jesus before they were 18. What an important time high school is to spread the gospel. It's a mission ground. It's a saving ground. Now, some of you might be thinking, I don't even hear, but I don't even know where I'd start doing that. I find it real hard. I might not have even tried. I don't even know what steps that I'd take. And you know what? We're all different. It's worth saying that, I reckon. We're all different. I've got mates of mine who are much better at telling people the gospel than I am. I look at them and I'm like, man, you are a natural at this and I'm bumbling along. And you might have that same feeling. But I reckon there are things that everyone can do to spread the gospel. I'm going to give you four quick steps of spreading the gospel at school. Here's the first one. Tell, tell people you're a Christian and you go to youth. It's a good first step that someone knows that you're someone who believes this stuff. That's something you can do. The second step is invite them to youth. Invite them along. We put youth on for you guys so that, you know, it's, it's yours. It's your church. It's for you guys so that you can invite your mates to come. We try and make it fun so they'd enjoy it and it's an easy invite. We make sure that we preach the Bible and we'll never stop because that's what's going to save people. Invite them to youth. Number three, give them a reason why you're a Christian. This helps make it personal. I'm a Christian for... The reason I'm a Christian is... And that might take you a while to work up to, and that's okay. But there's something powerful in you giving a a personal reason. You're not just part of some big thing. You follow Jesus for a reason. Tell them why. And then fourth, ask them if they're keen to find out more. See if they're keen to find out more. You might want to ask them who they think Jesus is. Do they want to find out more? There's a couple steps. Did you get them? There was no slide, sorry. But however you do it, right, whatever steps you take, they don't have to be those ones. We're in the last days. It's a special time. It's an urgent time. Spread the gospel. Spread it because you know the time is short. You know that's what God's on about. You know Jesus is coming back soon. Spread the gospel. It's not the time for luxury. It's wartime. Live appropriately. Spread the gospel. It's the only reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet. Here's the second part of the work of the Lord, and it's serving your fam. Serving your fam. Because the gospel isn't something that you just hear once and then after that you kind of forget all about it and you're all okay. All right? No, as as Christian brothers and sisters, we got to always be hearing the gospel. We always need to keep hearing the gospel. 
If you're at Fat last year, we looked at the book of Colossians, and Colossians is all about this. Get the gospel and then grow in the gospel always. In chapter 2, verse 6, it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus Lord, got the gospel, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. We've got to grow in the gospel. We've got to be built up. We've got to be strengthened so that we don't just trust Jesus now in this moment, in this second, but that we are people who always trust Jesus for as long as we've got. That all throughout the last days, we would trust Jesus. So that we make it to the end, trusting Jesus. Start flicking to Ephesians chapter 4. Because I reckon you can still hear that and go, yeah, cool. But isn't that your job, Jordan? Don't you equip us to do that stuff? Aren't you doing that work? Isn't that the leader's jobs? To strengthen and build us up? Well, check out what Ephesians 4 says, verse, oh, I'm in Galatians, I'm not going to find it there, verse 11, 4 verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do what? What's their job? to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Hearing the gospel taught in your G-teams and from the front and all those types of places, it's equipping you to do the work of serving equipping you to serve each other. It's your job. It's your gig. You're the guys who have to get on board with doing the work of the Lord here. It's a team sport. We looked at that yesterday. And you guys got to get on board with it. And there's heaps of ways you can do this kind of formally at youth. We've got a bunch of teams that you can serve on to serve each other and do the work of the Lord in that way. Whether it's on the music team or the tech team in any of the bazillion things that they do, on the welcoming team. There's, a bunch, there's so many teams that you could serve in at youth. If you don't know where to start, you don't know what you want to do with that, ministry sessions on when we get back, get along to it and work out why serving your fam is so good and how to get in it. <clears throat> but you don't just have to serve your fam in that way. <clears throat> you can do it in everyday ways as well, in the way that you speak to one another, building each other up kicking each other on to keep trust in Jesus, an epic act of service, building up your fam. We're in the last days. The siren's gone. The end's coming. We've got to make sure that we all stand firm until we die or Jesus comes back. We've got to serve each other. Now, that's immediate, right? Spreading the gospel, serving your fam, how we can do it straight away as soon as we get back. But this is a priority for the whole of the last days. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. But before we look at the future, I want you to take 30 seconds now and I want you to write down a first step when we get back how you're going to give yourself to the work of the Lord in spreading the gospel and, and serving your fam. It might be a person you're going to chat to at school. It might be something you're going to do at youth. I want you to take 
30 seconds real quick and write down something. Because if you're anything like me, you're going to forget. All right, that's now. What about our future? What about the rest of our lives, however long God gives us in the last days? Because this stuff isn't just a priority while you're in school, although it's an epic place. It's not just a priority while you're in youth, although it's epic. The work of the Lord is so important for as long as we get in the last days. So many people kind of have it as their priority for a bit and then chuck it. But don't let that be you. Live appropriately in all of the last days. And so my big question to you tonight is what are you going to do with your whole life? What are you going to do with your whole life? Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, I can't think that far ahead, you know, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, took me three days to choose what I'm shooting, like what I'm wearing, like you got no idea what's going on. But some of you have planned exactly what you want to do with your life already. I want to be an engineer. I want to be a nurse. I'm going to be a vet. I'm going to be an actor. I don't know what it is, right? But you've got a plan and you're sticking with it because it's your plan. Now, no matter what your plan is or if you don't have one, will you prioritise, put first, doing the work of the Lord, spreading the gospel, serving your fam? We so often put us first and go, all right, as soon as I kind of sort my stuff out, you know, where I'm going to live one day, what hobbies I do and when I do them, what job I get or stuff I do at school or whatever, then once, once they're all in, then I'll kind of fit in doing the work of the Lord around it. And whatever kind of fits, fits, and that's pretty good. But that's not what a priority is. That's what an afterthought is. It's not a priority. Often as Christians, when we talk about jobs, we say, just get a job that isn't sinful, and you're kind of all good, and you're doing the best you can. So Macca's worker, yep. Drug dealer, no. All right, just do that. Uh, A nurse, yep. Assassin, no, right? Kmart bag checker, yep. Professional kidnapper, no. It kind of sounded like you were clapping the kidnappers at the end. Bad, Jacob. (laughs) We think as long as it's not sinful, then just pick any job that's going to make you happy. These are the the three things that people tell you. Happy, respected, and it'll make you heaps of cash. That's the framework that our world uses around our jobs, around our future, whatever it looks like. That's what our world uses, but here is not our home. Here's a Bible framework. How will, you, how will you make sure that you have the most time and effort to give to the work of the Lord? How hectic is this, right? Doctors spend years working out how to heal people and they're amazing and we love them and we need them and we need Christian doctors and we're thankful for their work. But those people that they help will die. They'll die. Spreading the gospel, doing the work of the Lord can save people eternity, for eternity. You're not just helping them now but forever, life forever. You can say a gospel sentence and change someone's direction eternally. 
That's how big the work of the Lord is. Will you prioritise it? And so how will you make sure that you've got the most time to do the work that will do the most? It might mean whatever plans you've got, changing them. It might mean that. When you get to the point of choosing uni courses or TAFE or trades or whatever it is, ask yourself, will this allow me to always give myself fully to the work of the Lord? Can I do that in that space? And it might mean choosing a particular job so that you can do that. Not choosing it because it's the one I really want to do the most or because it's a really great job, but because I can spread the gospel there. I can do the work of the Lord while I'm at another job. It might mean ditching that type of job altogether and becoming a missionary. Spending your whole life, putting aside other things so you can spend your whole life spreading the gospel. Whether it's here in Australia where we desperately need the gospel in places or overseas. As I look out at you guys, I can't wait to see some of you go and spread the gospel somewhere else. Ethiopia, Papua New Guinea, Adelaide, wherever it is, taking the gospel that is, the, that is life, that changes people's eternal destinations, you guys taking it, will you do it? It's a priority. You might work for a church somewhere, do gospel ministry in that way equipping people at home base so that they can go out to places, so that they can do the work of the Lord wherever they are as well. Our church does a thing called MTS, right, which trains you in that stuff. When you get a bit older, will you do something like that maybe? Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. I have lots of prayers about you guys. I pray for you all the time. I love you so much. And one of my biggest ones is that you would go off places that I wouldn't even know about and that you would reach people with the gospel and that you would serve your family elsewhere that i got no idea about. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Is that going to be a sacrifice? Yes. But will it be worth it forever? Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Whether you go or whether you stay and do a normal job, how will I get as much time as I can doing the work of the Lord? And in case it hasn't been clear, it's not bad to have a regular job. It is a good thing, right? We need Christians in the workplace. It's a good thing. We need to spread the gospel there. We need people to make money so that they can give and support the work of the Lord happening as well. There's still meaning and value in normal work. So don't think that you can't get a normal job. You absolutely can. We're called to do anything we do for the glory of God and as if we're working for Him. In Colossians 3, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And so it is a really good thing. And a part of living a godly life from yesterday is being a really good worker, working well wherever you are. Not every Christian should be an overseas missionary or a pastor or anything like that. But some definitely should. And all should consider it. It'll be costly. It's a hard life. Doing the work of the Lord is a tough gig. But this is the last days. The best is coming. 
The new creation is coming. We'll enjoy that forever. Do the work of the Lord now. Get a job that gives you freedom to serve at church wherever you are. To make sure you're in a Bible study wherever you are. Make sure you can do that. And it takes thinking now to set yourself up for that. It won't just fall and just happen and you go, great, I have boundless time. You've got to work on it. And so make the decision today that I'm going to be someone who prioritises the work of the Lord. How will you do it? How will you spend this precious bonus time, the last days? Things that you can do that will make an eternal impact. Changing someone's destiny from hell to the new creation. We've got to keep on our minds, the new creation is really coming soon. For everyone who believes, they'll be there. Rock solid, restored, reunited. Hell is coming. And it is real. It is terrible. It is eternal. It is irreversible. Jesus is coming back soon to usher that in. And if it's a while off, we will die soon and we'll be ushered in. And we're really in the last days. What a precious time to be alive, the day of salvation. And so will your lives look like you've got the right expectations and the right priorities, giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Let's pray that that would be the case for us. Father, you are so good to us. Uh, We want to thank you that in your great wisdom and in your incredible patience, you have delayed the return of Jesus that you have given us this time, you have given us the last days where it is the day of salvation, where we really can see people's eternities changed. Lord, would you do such a powerful work by your Spirit in us to help us rethink our entire lives? Would every decision we make be with the future of everything in mind? the new creation in mind, hell in mind, the return of Jesus in mind. Would you help us to have right expectations about this time? Would you help us to have right priorities? Would you help us to make the decisions, sacrificial decisions, hard decisions, decisions that will hurt, that mean we can do your work in this day? And Lord, we pray in these days that you would be saving heaps and heaps of people, our friends, our families, those we love, those we haven't even met yet. We pray that you'd be saving them. And Lord, we do pray that you would send Jesus back soon. We can't wait for the new creation. Amen.